What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. The Right to Sex. That's the provocative title of the new feminist bestseller by Amiya Srinivasan. Who has a right to sex and who doesn't? For some answers, we turn to Katha Pollitt. Of course, she's a poet, essayist, and award-winning columnist for The Nation. She's also written for The New Yorker, Dissent, The New York Times, and other publications. Katha, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. Well, let's start with the title of this book, The Right to Sex and the Case of Elliot Roger, who killed six people in Santa Barbara in 2014 and left behind a 100,000-word manuscript explaining that he thought he had a right to sex. He did. Um, My own view is that no one has a right to sex. I think if people want to sleep with you, you're really lucky if you want to sleep with them. Otherwise, maybe not so lucky. Um, (laughs) But the idea that just by being a human being on this planet, people have to sleep with you, that seems insane to me. Elliot Roger is has become a kind of a symbolic figure of a new phenomenon in world culture. Remind us what where he stands. These are the incels, which is short for involuntarily celibate. And these are young men who simultaneously consider themselves very physically unattractive, but also that really high class women who they call um, Stacy's should sleep with them. But instead, the Stacy's want to sleep with the Chads, who are the alpha males. And this is very unfair. (laughs) Something must be done about this. I mean, it's really nuts. It's, It's just completely insane. I want to call those people up and say, you know, if you worked a little bit on your character, forget your looks. Anybody can, you know, most people get married. Most people do have some kind of an effective life, um, no matter what they look like. And if you would just work a little bit on your personality and on being a nice and interesting person, eventually (laughs) people would, someone would like you enough to want to uh, be your girlfriend. Very nice thought. Um, Can I say one more thing about this? Please. Which is 
The thing about the incels is that they don't really just want sex, although it's often portrayed that way. They want girlfriends because sex any man can have. I mean, this is why sex work is work, you know, but that's not what they want. They want the attention of women, the favorable attention and emotional labor of women. And that is something that is harder to get than sex. And the person who has written a book about this, Amya Srinivasan, is quite a cultural phenomenon right now. She had a big piece in the New York Times Magazine, another in the New Yorker. She was featured in British Vogue. Tell us about this author. Well, Amya Srinivasan is, she's in her middle 30s. She describes herself as queer. She is most important, more important than those things, is the Titchley Professor of Social and Political Theory at Oxford, which is a post that was held for, uh, by Isaiah Berlin for many years, and also by Charles Taylor, who's a big philosophical deal. So that it's going, she's the first woman, and she's the youngest person by a considerable amount. So that all creates a lot of interest in her. Um, and also she's writing about things that we don't usually think of as them of uh, philosophy sex, feminism, all that. Um, I mean, feminism a little bit, but not incels, not pornography. So I think uh, we can agree that it's wrong when men focus their desire on women who are blonde or Asian, which is the current issue uh, here. But doesn't criticizing people for who they are attracted to seem like a losing proposition? Well, it certainly in the short run, it does. Back in the 70s, there was something called political lesbianism, which was when some lesbian feminists uh, tried to persuade straight women to give up men. Um, and I don't think that was a lasting success. <laughs> um, I'm sure there were some straight women who discovered their inner lesbian because of that. But I think in general, people... They have the tastes they have. They like the people they like. And there's not much that one can do about that. We can recognize that both men and women have desires shaped by culture and history. And we can try to be more open about who we desire and, and what makes them desirable. But, but who is going to hear this message? Well, this is the thing. I just, in this call out, to people to be more broad-minded, you know, maybe you'd like to sleep with a trans woman or a trans man, give it a try, because this, the in, initial focus of this issue is the efforts of trans women to get lesbians to sleep with them, which have been called bullying. And I don't actually know what the ratio of bullying to newly discovered desire is, um, but, yeah, but who gets to hear that? Who is going to hear this message? It's not going to be men. Men are not going to say, wow, I should really try sleeping with a 400 pound woman. I might like it. No, they're not. They're going to say, honey, you, you've been gaining. I mean, is that five pounds? I see around your middle there. Maybe you should go to the gym more often. Uh, uh, no, but women are very vulnerable to all kinds of moralistic and emotional bullying. They've been raised to be that way. And that, interesting enough, is what that wonderful story, Cat Person, was all about. Remember that viral short story by Kristen Rupinian? And it's about a woman who can't figure out this guy who's interested in her. Is he 
you know, is he nice, but kind of clueless? Is, is he maybe a serial killer? And it, she can never really make up her mind about him because the risks of the wrong decision are very great, but also the risks of the right of not of not giving this guy the emotional attention that all men seem to think they deserve. So you wrote about this for Descent magazine, and there um, you return to the topic of the involuntarily celibate, and you bring up what you call, quote, the largest group of losers in the dating and mating game. Who is that? Well, that's older women. And that's so interesting that she's so concerned. She, Amiya Srinivasan, is so concerned about these horrible incels, and she's not at all concerned about this huge demographic that is right in front of us that everybody knows examples of, which is older women, which is I take to be a woman over, you know, 40, 45, that men her own age simply will not date, who goes on dating apps and gets only insults or nothing. Um, you try being a 60-year-old woman, 60-year-old men are not going to be interested in you. They say they want a 25-year-old, but they probably accept a 40-year-old, but they're not going to accept a 70-year-old. Uh, so it's amazing to me that this very important demographic peculiarity is completely invisible to her. Well, one of Amiya Srinivasan's essays is called Talking to My Students About Porn. And of course, all readers turn to this one right away. What, what do her students say about porn? Well, it's really interesting because what her students say is not at all what you would gather if you spend a lot of time on, say, feminist Twitter, where porn is great, sex work is, you know, it's either just work or a wonderful thing. What her students say to her is that porn is very damaging to them. Both the men and the women say this, that it has promoted misogyny and sexism. It's affected their sex lives in bad ways, that it's sort of destroyed tenderness and kindness and fun in bed in favor of, you know, all kinds of awful things. That was very interesting because this is exactly what Andrea Dworkin would have predicted, you know, and Andrea Dworkin gets some kind words from Amiya Srinivasan. So Amiya Srinivasan is a professor and has an essay titled On Not Sleeping with Your Students. This was the one that was in the New York Times Magazine. Actually, I thought it was pretty terrific. She's dealing with the argument made by male professors who insist their female students come on to them constantly. And they ask, well, what about all the male professors who ended up marrying one of their students and lived happily ever after? What does she say about all that? She says, basically, well, probably a lot of these men are not being strictly truthful, but more important, your job as a teacher is to teach your students. And the idea that sleeping with your students is part of the pedagogical project <laughs> is, is kind of insane. Let's remember, Socrates did not sleep with his students, although he was very attracted to them and made an argument against doing that. I thought that essay was, was very, very good. Now, as it happens, just yesterday, I heard from a dear, dear old friend who uh, is quite uh, culturally conservative, I would say, um, and who you would think would, well, perhaps it's not surprising that he protested. He said, you know, I have been married to my wife for 50 years and she was my student. And there, you know, there I had I had a relationship with a professor of mine, but I was older than him, it was, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It was after the, and it was not a class that was very important to me. And 
it, you know, I mean, life is complicated. People do all kinds of things, but there are these guys who far from just falling in love with one person, it's a, it's a routine every semester or every year, there's a new one. And that's very damaging because these women are often very young and they're kind of naive and they don't understand what's going on. So let me quote Amia Srinivasan. The teacher-student relationship arouses in the students a strong desire, a sense of thrilled, if inchoate, infatuation. That desire is the lifeblood of the classroom, and it is the teacher's duty to nurture and direct it towards its proper object, learning. The teacher who allows his student's desire to settle on him as an object, or the teacher who actively makes himself the object of her desire, has failed in his role as a teacher. Yeah, well, it's like the way she's talking about it is a lot like the way people talk about psychiatry and sleeping with your patient, that they may have feelings for you, but you have to not gratify those feelings and direct them in a better way. And I agree with that. And she declares that she's analyzing sex as a political phenomenon and that her work is, as she puts it, quote, animated by the hope of a different world, close quote. On the issue of the right to sex, she says no one is obligated to desire anyone else and that no one has a right to be desired, but she insists that who is desired and who isn't is a political question. So what are her politics? Well, she's a socialist, so she says, but I finished the book not really knowing what she meant by that and what effect socialism was supposed to have on the questions that she takes up. I'll give you a funny example, which is she talks about pornography and is mostly pretty negative about it. And in my my review, which I wrote for Dissent, a socialist magazine, one of the editors actually says, well, under socialism, couldn't the government pay for feminist porn? And I'm thinking, oh yeah, we're really gonna see that (laughs) in in the next 500, sometime in the next 500 years. So I think that, We've gone as a society very far down certain roads, roads of uh, extreme, what's the word I'm searching for, licentiousness or sexual freedom. But that doesn't really go along with socialism as we have known it historically. Those countries, those socialist societies tend to have an initial burst of liberation followed by a real clampdown and there's certainly carceral, you know, she's another, she's a person who thinks, you know, she's very anti-carceral feminism, which is putting sex offenders in prison. But, you know, there is no socialist country that is not extremely carceral, including the death penalty in a lot of them. So I'm not really sure what she's driving at here. Part of her socialism is a criticism of what she calls mainstream feminism for prioritizing the concerns and interests of white middle-class women. For example, she says on the Me Too movement, uh, for many women, being sexually harassed is not the worst thing about their jobs. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of people, and that may be true, but you know, only one thing can be the worst thing, and that doesn't mean we can't talk about the other things. So I would be wary of saying, Oh, yeah, you know, sexual harassment. Well, I don't like that. But what I really want is a raise. Yes, you should have a raise. But that doesn't mean your boss gets to put his hands all over you. The book is The Right to Sex, 
Katha Pollitt reviewed it for Descent Magazine. Thank you, Katha. Always great to talk with you. Lovely to talk to you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.